welcome back to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here, and I'm so excited to get into um, this new study that we will be doing on the crowns, and some people would call them the rewards that the Bible speak of. I, I hope you're looking forward to it and excited to, to journey into this study with me. Please invite your family and friends, please. This is God's Word, and God's Word has a way of just penetrating people's heart like nothing else. There could be loved ones out there that you have spoken to over and over again, and yet you feel like, I I don't know that I get through to them. Trust me, the Holy Spirit can get through to them. And just to invite them in, let them uh, learn and grow as we do. And um, I'll be thanking all of you for all of the people you have shared it with. I am so thankful that this podcast right now airs in six different countries, and that's just amazing what God can do. So um, I'm looking forward to it, and I will see you in my part of the story. Hello, and thanks for joining me on my part of the story. So the last time I left you, I left you with an introduction to the particular study that we are getting ready to journey into together, and it is on the rewards or crowns that the Bible speak of. And as we talked about a little bit last week, we had talked about how some people believe you can lose your salvation and and others believe that you cannot lose your salvation, that it is a gift of God. And It is eternal life, which is what God has said in his word. And eternal does mean eternal, which lasts forever. So I think that this particular study, when I um, studied it, I realized that it connected some pieces. You know, God's word is so intricate and so intelligent and on a level of its own because it comes from God. And we are but simple humans. And I realized the more I study his word, which is what he tells us to do, it's pieced together like a puzzle. And even though some pieces look like they may fit in this certain area, we realized, you know, did we force it a little? Did we push that piece of puzzle down in there? You know, I remember growing up with my mother and my father, and they loved to do puzzles. And, you know, after you've been at it for a while, putting pieces together, and, you know, my mom always wanted the puzzle to be outlined first, like the outer frame to be framed up. Because if you have the outer frame of the puzzle, then it makes it a little bit easier and a starting place. Sometimes I think that's salvation. Because really, it takes the Holy Spirit of God to be in you before you could really completely understand the Word of God because... The Bible says that it is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift. And then once you've received that gift and taken it for yourself, then the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us. You know, the Holy Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, is so important not to overlook because He is the teacher. He is the comforter. He is the convictor. And he does so much in our life. And a lot of times we do focus on God the Father and then God the Son. But 
we forget about the written word that it you know it's literally Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the one that inspires the hearts of the writers to pin the words down which is why after over 2,000 years and maybe over 40 different authors in the Bible spanning over time none of it can be contradicted some people think they can contradict it but then once they get some more of the pieces of the puzzle they realize oh well I guess that piece didn't fit there after all so that's what we're talking about here is putting pieces of this particular book into their very right places to where they fit exactly right not forced not forced into an understanding that you just want to choose to believe or necessarily even an understanding that you may have been taught all your life so that's what makes it a personal relationship the moment you are saved and God has come into your heart in this the form of the Holy Spirit he instructs us to read his word he wants us to have a personal relationship with him allowing the Holy Spirit of God to penetrate our hearts and teach our minds the truth from the word but it has to all fit it's interesting I've always said how people are willing to sit down and discuss a crossword puzzle and they'll say I need a word for this definition and it has to be so many letters and then everybody puts their minds together and they're like okay so then they come up with the word And then they realize that, oh, wait a minute, it can't be that word, even though it looked like it should have been. It fit, it kind of fit, because all of the letters was there, the definition was there, but there was another piece. It was the word that was coming through that word, and it didn't fit. And it's so interesting how people will sit down and actually discuss a crossword puzzle until they finish the puzzle but when it comes to God word God's word they get a little bit defensive and a little bit not non-responsive it's almost like well I'm just used to believing it this way or this is the way I grew up or this is what I was taught okay taught by who taught by your parents taught by your friends or even a pastor of a church because we have different denominations and the reason those different denominations are out there is because of the different interpretations yet we know that there's only one interpretation of this book and that's God's interpretation so why is it that we don't spend that time really wanting to know what God has to say what does he have to say about it not how I feel about it or what someone else has told me But what does his word say to you? So let me ask you, do you have the frame to your puzzle already put in place? Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in your heart to decipher what this word says for yourself on your own with nothing but a prayer to God to help lead you and guide you and direct you in what he has to say to you? Do you study it enough? Or does the word study scare you because, after all, we did that in school and we didn't really like it then? This is so different. This is so different. This is 66 love letters written from your God, 
for those that may not be saved, but were created, and those that are saved from your Father. This is His way He speaks to you. This is how He teaches you and wants to talk to you. He wants you to sit. You know, this book is timeless. It has no beginning and no end. When we read these words in this book that God has pinned down for his children, it is timeless. It is the same as if God was saying, and and I give this credit to another uh, lady that was a wonderful Christian, and I just want to say that, that this was her quote. But I just remember it giving me cold chills all over my body when she said it. But she said to me, or to, on the video, that this is God's word. And it's as if the father has said, listen to me, child. Listen to me. I'm talking to you. I'm teaching you. I'm telling you something. I'm instructing you. And it's as if your sweet, sweet daddy was just sitting there going, are you listening to me? I'm trying to direct you the right way. I'm trying to show you love. I'm trying to encourage you. And I'm trying to help you get through the rough times. I know because I know all things. You know, we used to tell our parents, oh, you don't know everything. Well, that may be true for a parent that's of flesh. And after all, they have lived a life and much more knowledge than we have because they've gone before us. But it is not true for a perfect God, the God of all things, the God that created everything. So he knows how all things work together. He was the master builder. So I want you to keep that in mind. And I'm sorry that we didn't get into the very first crown last week, but I felt like the introduction was important because I really do believe this will clear up some of the difference between losing your salvation and losing a reward. We all want to go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with crowns and rewards to lay at our King's feet. So let us not miss any. So I think it's so important to understand how to obtain them. So that's my part of the story. I want to share with you the study that I did that touched my heart and changed my mind and my life forever. So I will see you in his part of the story with the very first crown that we'll be studying, the crown of life. I'll see you there. Welcome back to his part of the story. Well, all of you listeners by now have gotten used to my routine and know that this is where we journey into the Word of God, where we see God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working through the writers of the Holy Scriptures. And our very first crown is going to sound a little familiar to some of you. Some of you may have been following me from day one, and you've maybe heard me touch in the book of James. And this is where I really started thinking about it as I was uh, teaching through the other episodes. And I realized that it came up a couple times and I thought, you know, Mary, that is where you realized when you seen that crown and you started doing a study on the crowns, that is where you realized, oh, 
I see exactly what Father is telling me now. So this may sound a little familiar because it was said and some of it was read in a prior episode. And I don't mean to sound repetitious, but because I'm putting it now in the category of the the studying of the crowns, then I must go back to the very first crown. And the very first crown is located in the book of James. So we're going to look in the book of James at chapter 1, and then it is located at verse 12. So you're like, yeah, I think that sounds familiar, but let's just read the actual uh, scripture and the verse that speaks of this crown. In chapter 1, verse 12 of James, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So there it is. We see the very first crown that we're studying. It's called the crown of life. But remember what I said? That you have to put it together as a whole. So, okay. So let's let's look at the beginning of James. And this is where it's going to sound familiar to you. James chapter 1, verse 1. And let's see the surrounding scriptures. Why is it that this particular crown of life comes up right now at this moment? We need to know this. We need to know what's happening and what people are going through because that is the same as us for today. Remember how I said this book does not have a time limit. You may think that this is a book written years and years and years and years ago. Okay, why is it still the very number one selling book in the world today? Why is it that no one can come up against it and ever prove it inaccurate? It is the Holy Scriptures that is spoken by the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm here to tell you that it still speaks to us today for a reason. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and let's read down and maybe even a little bit past our actual crown. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So we can see here that we're speaking of uh, James, and James is the writer here. And what is he saying? He is saying to us, greetings, and that he's a servant of God. And he's talking to the 12 tribes in and that are abroad, which scattered abroad. This is also the called the dispersion. And he says, greetings. So... Then we go down and he says to them, the ones that are, he is writing the letter to, but remember, he is writing it to those believers, but it doesn't stop there. It still happens to us today. Listen to the words carefully and you'll say, yeah, I go through that. It's for us today to understand and know today. So he says, By the testing of your faith. Now that's the title right above verse 2. It says testing of your faith. And then it goes on to say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now we know when he says, my brothers, does he mean just men? No, he means the brethren. The brethren is 
women and children and men of God, all of the brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's now writing it and he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. So we can see here that who he was writing it to in those churches was meeting various trials of different kinds, just like we do. And then he tells them what happens through those trials. For you know that the testing of your face produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it moves us toward a positive area of steadfastness, of being faithful and continuing on our journey with the Lord. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So we see here that he's saying, if you need to understand something, if it's hard for you to deal with the persecutions or the trials or whatever you happen to be going through, he says, if you lack wisdom about it, ask God. He will give it generously to you without reproach. Well, guess what? If you just stay in his word, you're going to come across scriptures like this that is going to tell you why. And it's going to show you what to do. But he says, if you ask not in faith, then you're going to be double-minded. Which what that means is, is that, are you going to have faith in God's answer? Like if he tells you to count it all joy because it works to patience and steadfastness and are you going to believe it are you going to ask in faith knowing he's going to give you an accurate answer or are you going to just dismiss it because it's not the answer that you want but he says you're going to be like double-minded men a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind so that means your life is just going to be up and down and up and down and up and down just like you know I was out on the boat with my husband and the wind goes and and the waves in the ocean just start to move or the lake and it's just up and down and up and down and you're just rocking back and forth in the boat how are you going to be stable you're going to be unstable in all your ways if you do not believe God for what he says to you and how it does work to good then it says, let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, yep. Our life is but a vapor, according to the Word of God. And it sure is. I can remember when I was a teenager, and I'm now pushing 56. And it won't be long before it'll be gone. But I am so glad for the one that I will have for eternity. And I'm looking forward to it. But as far as here, we're like a flower under the scorching heat. And we will wither, and we will perish. Its beauty will be gone. And then it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. 
under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And there it is. He's promised you the crown of life. Why? Because you stood steadfast. Because during those trials, you stood your ground. Through the testing, you never blamed God. Just like Job, he never counted God or charged him as in wrong. He got to the point where he regretted the day he was born because he was suffering and he wasn't happy. He was broken. He was going through the fire. But he had a lot to learn. And by the time you get to the end of Job and you hear God speak, you realize, yes, even then, Job was righteous, but he still had a lot to learn. And we still have a lot to learn. So upon that, I just want to read you just a little bit of the concept of what was James doing when he was writing this book? Well, if you go back in some of your Bibles, I have one here that has it, it actually talks a little bit about the writer and what was James doing? What was James's point behind this? And it goes in to say that the title of this book derives from the name of its author, James the Just. Remember, I read that to you about James the Just as he was called the brother of Jesus in Matthew 13, 55, and the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now, I'm going to go ahead and go down to the theme because there is a lot of reading in the beginning of this, but it tells you who wrote it. So James wrote it, but who really wrote it? God wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was in James' heart and through the situations that was happening the Holy Spirit had him pen this letter to the believers. And that's why this letter still is alive today and working in the same believers' hearts because it wasn't just James. It was the Holy Spirit of God that wrote it. So let's look at the theme. James' primary theme is living out one's faith. Being a doer and not just a hearer of the word. This theme is developed in view of the social conflict between rich and poor and the spiritual, spiritual con- conflict between fractions in the church. Hmm. So there was fraction or factions in the church at the time between the rich and the poor and the spiritual. So they were having a spiritual conflict in the church. What? Does that really happen? Of course it does. And it still happens today, which is why the book of James is so important, as all of them are. James does what? James rebukes his readers for their worldliness and challenges them to seek divine wisdom in working out these problems and getting right with God. The audience of James' letter is almost certainly Jewish Christians, as evidenced by the uh, de- design nations or designations of the twelve tribes of dispersia and the assembly. The Jewish reasoning throughout and James's frequent reflection on the Torah, 
which is the Mosaic Law. If dispersion is literally as well as a metaphorical, then these are a group of Jewish Christian houses, churches outside of the Palestine, which fits the situation of persecution and poverty in the letter. More than that cannot be said, but the social situation can be gleamed from the letter. As a result of the troubles, conflict has entered the churches, and they have splintered it into fighting factions. Moreover, some have fallen into a worldly lifestyle and have failed to put their faith into practice, with the result that they have become double-minded, wavering between God and the world. Wow. That's an important, that's an important crown. That's an important background. We need to see this. We need to read this. And we need to apply this in our lives. Not to be double-minded. To be those Christians that we believe what we say and we live what we believe. Can I say that again? Believe what the Word says and what you say out of your mouth. And then live what you say you believe. That's a powerful statement in its own and I know the Holy Spirit of God just gave it to me because it speaks to my heart and mind right now as I'm teaching you this. Well, there's your first crown, the crown of life. And I've got a little bit of part of the commentary that I think I've read to you before. And you need to stay tuned for our journey because this will bring even a deeper picture to this crown and what it represents. Stay tuned for our part of the journey. Welcome back to our part of the journey. Well, did you see it there? Did you see the distinction between whether we have accepted Christ as our personal Savior and we just go about our business and do whatever we want to do and then we lose our salvation? Or did you actually see that from last episode that if you really have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, then the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. And because that Holy Spirit is in your heart, it will encourage you and push you in a direction. I don't even want to say push because the Holy Spirit is wonderful, loving, and kind. But what the Holy Spirit does is it convicts your heart. I mean, have you found yourself doing something that you honestly know in your mind, in your heart, and through the Word of God would not line up with the Word of God? And have you felt that little, it's like a prick or pen prick in your heart that like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. Okay? 
did you experience that before salvation? I don't think so. I think some of us just have like a little bit of a moral compass that I still think is given by God because we wouldn't if we did not see the Ten Commandments and we did not know that it was, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then we grew up with moral side codes of everything our parents and the people around us taught, like don't talk about people, don't don't pick your nose in public. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, we have our moral, quote, ethics to a certain degree. But come on, honestly, I can speak on my behalf that I went to church when I was younger. I even made a false profession of faith. And the reason I know is because I, I never changed. I always had in the back of my mind, is this God real? Is this all what it's cracked up to be? And I know the moment that Jesus Christ met me on my road, which may not have been the road to Damascus, but on a road that I was led down and he met me there. Jesus met me at the foot of the cross. And the moment I realized and had admitted to myself, I was a sinner. And I knew I was. I knew the kind of lifestyle I was living I should not be living, even based from somewhat of that moral ethics. I knew I was doing something against God. But I also had the thought pattern that, hey, I'm free white and 21, and I'll do what I want to do. If it's not against the quote-unquote law of today, then who am I hurting? And you know what? I even broke the laws of today, of speeding. And I'm ashamed to say, drinking and driving. I look back on my old life, and I think to myself, how many people did I put in harm's way when Satan was ruling the decisions in my life? How many times could I have possibly crossed that line and went into an oncoming car and hurt somebody or even a child? They're all important, whether they're adults or children. But oftentimes we even look at a child's life being lost as more dramatic. But how many times? You know, oftentimes I hear people blame God Well, why did this child have to die because of the drunk driver? Well, the drunk driver was sinning. And the child died not because of God, but because of the drunk driver. And because of his choices in his life. Which shows the effect of sin. And most people don't understand that as I'm explaining that to them, I'm fully aware in my old life, I was that person. So I knew, I knew I was a sinner. But you know, he met me there. He met me there at the foot of the cross to show me my sin before my face. But the moment that I accepted him as my personal savior and I understood that he died on that cross for me and I accepted the reality that his suffering was really my payment. That would be like one of my brothers or sisters standing up. I mean, this is 
is actually no comparison, to be honest, but the only comparison I can think of. Uh, one of my brothers and sisters saying, oh, mom, I know that Mary stole that, but here, spank me for it. Ground me for it. Punish me for it. Or better yet, how would you feel if one of your children would come up to somebody that was standing in front of an oncoming vehicle and had no idea that they were about to be hit and they push that child out front but yet they lose their life. Yes, we could be proud of the person that pushed the child out of the way but let's think a minute. You as the parent of the child that died saving someone else's child? Do you think you would want that child to live a horrible choice life or do you think you'd want that child to live a life that was respectful mindful of others and decent so why do we think that God the Father would not want us to now live the life that Jesus Christ freed us from can we honestly go about just doing whatever we want as Christians because we quote-unquote believe that we got saved? I don't think so. That's why I don't think you can lose your salvation. Because the, the Holy Spirit of God started working on me. Where I could not change myself, the Holy Spirit of God could. He started convicting my heart and my mind. I now was not thinking, I'm free, white, and 21 and can do what I want. I was thinking, eh. I need to not do this. I've got to move away from this. I've got to realize and recognize that this particular sin in my life is wrong. And I need to repent. And I need to turn away from it. And I need to turn to God and say, I am sorry. He's already forgiven my sins at Calvary. But do you think God wants us to stop confessing our sins? He says if you confess your sins daily. He is just and faithful to cleanse us from all unright, forgive us, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see a daily confession, and sometimes it's going to require that from us because we are struggling, and we do struggle with sin. That's why I don't believe one particular or any other particular sin can cause you to lose your salvation. Let me ask you this. You do know that worrying is a sin. Because you're supposed to always trust in God for all things. Did you go today without worrying? Yesterday? What sin causes you to actually lose that salvation, that gift? No, my friend. We're working now. Not for the sin debt. He paid it at Calvary. We are working because we love him. And we have his very spirit being inside of us. And as he changes us and convicts us and molds us and makes us more into his image, he's saying to you, when you can overcome this, even though your sin is paid for, when you can overcome these things and you know it is a sacrifice to you, then I give unto you the crown of life. Well, only to put at his feet because he is once again the deserving one so let me look read just a teeny small part and then we're going to wrap this up 
But it's so interesting in this particular little study, this little New Testament that I have that outlines the crowns, it actually says here in the commentary part, this reward could be called the lover's crown. Upon examination of the above verse, we discover that the believer finds strength to overcome temptation and endure trials through the love of God. Paul said, we glory in tribulation also. The question is, do we today glory in tribulation? We can only if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see we have to have the Holy Spirit to say, you want me to glory in my tribulation, in my problems, in my troubles? Most people just want to go and whine, 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 complain, 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 and hey, I'm pointing that finger right back at me. It's a reminder to me as I do this. We have a tendency to just want to complain. Like, what? You want me to glory in it? You want me to praise God through it? But guess what? He says you can't do it without the Holy Spirit of God in you. Unless the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. That means the love that you have for Him, which really only comes from His Spirit, is overpowering your heart to do so. Without the love of God in your heart, of the heart of a believer, trials can cause him to become bitter and critical and actually lose that crown of life. All believers have several all believers have eternal life. But not all believers will be rewarded with the crown of life. This crown will be given to those who are faithful unto death. To receive the crown of life, the believer must love the Lord more than his own life. Whosoever will save his life, live for their self, shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for, for my sake and the gospels, which means live for Christ at all cost, the same shall save it. This reward will be given to those who live for Christ and endure temptations in the power of the love of God. So do you see it there now? Do you have the power to say, I refuse to live a life that I may be entitled just to go ahead and just do whatever I want to do because I'm saved? Not all believers in eternal uh, security or eternal life believe that, oh, you know, once saved, you could just send yourself to death and then go on to be in heaven. But it does explain grace. Yes. God gave us that grace. But I don't believe it's possible. Just like the other scripture said, because with the power of God, you know, God's very spirit in your body, how can you? But he's saying here, if you choose to save your life, and live for yourself you shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my name's sake and the gospels will actually save it so I'd say you're going to lose your life if you've never had the Holy Spirit of God in you to direct you and teach you but those that have those that grow, those that learn those that love God and love what he done at Calvary. Well, we have a tendency to lose 
our life for Christ's sake at all cost. Well, I don't know about you, but that first crown was certainly good. And I don't know, but every time now when I come up against really hard trials, sometimes it's still hard for me. Sometimes I have my pity party. But God quickly redirects me back to this crown. And I think, okay, I can, I can get through this. I can make it through this trial or this tribulation. And Lord, I hope I can gain as many crowns as I can. You're worthy of way more than I know I would ever be able to do. But for his sake in the Gospels, I'm thankful that he's revealed this truth to me from his word, where I can now even look forward to the trials by faith, knowing that they're going to make me a better Christian. Well, I'm so thankful that you guys are with me during this journey, and we will be looking into our second crown, and that crown will be the crown incorruptible, and that will be next Tuesday. Let us go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for the people that listen in. I thank you that you have spread it across six countries. Lord, touch the hearts and the minds of your people all over this world. Give them the love and the desire to lay their lives down and to pick up the life that they now have in you to live for you in the gospel's sake. Put the words you need from your word into their hearts and their minds and on their lips to speak to people all over this world they need you and how will they know about you if someone does not go and someone does not share and tell let us put aside our lives of what it is we can do just for ourselves and to count it all joy when we come into trials and tribulations that we know you are changing us molding us and making us to be able to continue to share your gospel with those around us thank you for what you've given me help me to continue to do the work you would have me to do that you would be honored and glorified in the end i love you jesus and thank you for hearing our praying prayer for it's in your name and amen well we will see you next tuesday on the crown incorruptible and I hope you join me there